0: Well, good morning, guys. My name is uh, Sean Myers, if I don't know you. Um, and actually, let me say this real quick. If, if I honestly don't know you, uh, and I've never met you before, I, I really would love to talk, talk with you. Uh, this is the Myers, my last name being Myers, uh, the Myers home here, Redemption Arcadia. And I'll be up here afterwards, honestly, just love to, to get to meet you. So just so you kind of know who I am, um, I'm a pastoral resident here. Um, and before I um, I kind of explain what I do, but let me kind of just explain what that means. Basically, if you think of a pastoral resident, we always use the language like a doctoral residency. When you kind of get through the school and you're on your way to start your profession, you kind of go through this. Well, that's kind of a weird balance for me, right? Because we've been here for about three years now, and this is our home, so it's not something we feel like we're passing through. But at the same time, um, my wife, my, my, uh, myself, and our kids, we all moved to the west side because we believe God has called us um, to plant a church and uh, hopefully a redemption congregation. Um, in the Peoria Glendale area so if you have questions as to what that looks like or you want to get involved or you live over there and you're looking for a community um, I'd love to steal you from Arcadia Um, that would be awesome. Um, So here's the deal Uh, normally you won't see me up here normally you would see a guy named Frank um, a little bit older than I am Uh, He'll be up here. He's the main teaching pastor. You'll see me maybe eight to ten times a year, a couple other guys along the way. Um, And if you don't know anything about Redemption, uh, Redemption is one church and we have seven congregations, and you may have already heard that. But here's the deal. Um, If you haven't been in a while, back in 1996, Redemption Church decided to start going through the Book of Romans. And um, we've been going through the Book of Romans ever since then and it's just, it's, it's just been 76. It's just been this journey that we've just been trucking through, right? Uh, no, we so we, we're going through the Book of Romans. We've been in it for about a year and a half now, and it's really great, and um, we got a lot to cover because this passage is, is kind of a border passage. The first part of the passage really talks about what Frank brought before us last week, and the end of the passage talks a lot about what we're gonna get into um, next week. So here's what I wanna do. If you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 and look at that passage for me, and, and here's what I want you to see in that passage so you know where I'm I'm coming from and what we have done up to this point. Um, I want you to look at verses 19, 20, and 21, and we're going to start there. Now, our passage starts in verse 14, okay, and it goes all the way through 21. But we're going to start in 18, 19, or, sorry, 19, 20, and 21. Actually, starting in 21 and reading the other two verses, we're going to start from the back and work our way forward. Um, because, like I said, next week we're going to talk a lot about who Israel is. Now, for the most part. We really don't understand the importance of Israel, why we talk about Israel, what do they have to do with, and all these things. So, what Redemption Arcadia specifically did is they took five weeks, we did, we took five weeks and told the story of Israel. Now, here's why I bring all this up. Let me tie it together for you. The reason that we've been going through Romans and, and then we spent five weeks on Israel, and then next week we're going to get into something is because all of these things tie together. There's been language in the book of Romans talking about Jew and Gentile. Okay, I don't know really what that means. Okay, here's the story of the people of God. Well, who are the people of God? What does that look like? Okay, next we're going to get into grafting Jews and Gentiles. And what does all that look like? Who's the people of God? We've been talking a lot about this. Matter of fact, in Romans 9, at one point, uh, uh, Paul's quoting Hosea, and he ends up saying, I've chosen a people who weren't looking for me. I've made beloved somebody who wasn't beloved. So he's looking at Israel saying, you were striving or you weren't striving after me. So he picks the people. Well, how do, does all this intertwine together? I want to start there, okay? Now we've talked about how Israel kind of missed it. They, they, they were looking in the wrong direction. What I specific, specifically want to talk about is um, the purpose in all of this, because here's the truth. When David came up here and read that passage, who's going to go? Like fire and brimstone, who's gonna go? They need to hear who's gonna go. And we hear that, and we, we make mission conferences about it. Uh, we, you know, we, we have these long dialogues about no one's gonna hear unless someone tells them all true, but we miss the fact that that little passage is in a broad context talking about Israel. So here's what I wanna go, here, here, here's how I wanna go about doing this, and I hope that this helps. I wanna ask the question before we get to our passage, what was the original purpose of Israel. So if you remember, what we did is, this is probably seven weeks now, going through the story, we talked about how God, in his sovereignty, we don't know why, ends up choosing a people, okay? There are a lot of other nations on the earth, for whatever reason, he isolates a people, a man specifically, Abraham, and says, I'm going to use this people. Now, he chooses this people to be saved, not as an end in of itself, but as a means to an end. And what I mean by that is Israel has been selected. And what God declares over and over and over again is this truth, that they have been selected so that the nations around them as they surround Israel look into Israel and say, there's something different about Israel. They are to look at Israel and be jealous and we see the language, a lot of this, when God is using Israel to conquer nations, we see the people fear Israel because God is with them. People over and over, kings and rulers, fear it. Fear certain men and women in the Bible who are part of Israel because God is with them. And this is the crux. This is the rhythm that God is looking for. That as people who are Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, not an Israelite, would look into this camp of Israel and say, there's something different going on and be jealous and long. So originally, God's purpose in all of this was to bless a people so that they would be a blessing. They would bless a people so that they would look at them and say, I want what they have. That was the end. That was the goal. Not so that they can be isolated, homogenized, so they, in the end, would flourish in such a way that people would glorify the God that they serve. But, as in Romans 9, and as we read in verse 21, they were disobedient. Matter of fact, verse 21 says this. But but of Israel, he says all day long, so we're starting from the back, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Israel, now supposed to be a people where everyone looks into, man, they cannot get this thing right. And they miss it in two different ways. And I think the ways that they miss it is is really important. The first way is they continue to hoard themselves after other people's gods they literally do the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing so people are supposed to look at them and say I want what they have in the end Israel's is looking at other people saying well they have a king well they have a god who does this 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 and they're looking at our na- nations wanting to be like them the exact opposite of who they're supposed to be and the second thing that takes place which is just a sheer shot of irony here is when they do get it right when they do complete the law, when they do conquer a nation, they kind of bring out the righteous swag and think it's about them. So they say, we did get it right. And they think they're awesome. And this is really important, right? Because this is how we get, um, you know, if, think of someone like Paris Hilton. Maybe you don't know who she is, but Paris Hilton is famous, okay? She's famous for a lot of the wrong reasons. But here's the what crazy story of Paris Hilton. Um, she's originally only famous, the original people started following her, only because she had money. So she started to think, oh, I have money, I I can do. But the hilarity of all of it is, it wasn't her money. It was her dad's money. So she thinks she's awesome because she has a little dog. Her dad bought that dog, okay? (laughs) This is like us walking down the street with Brad Pitt, and then we end up at the yard, and and, and paparazzi are surrounding us, like, no, no pictures. They're not taking pictures of you, bro. They're taking pictures of Brad Pitt, okay? And for us, just like the people of Israel specifically, we tend to think, oh, it's, it's, it's all, we've got it together. That is not the point. You are an arrow to point to the glory of God. Israel was called as a people to be an arrow to the glory of God. And they can't get it right. And so God continues to hold out his hand to a disobedient people over and over and over to show his faithfulness. But what ends up happening is, as we read in verses 19 and 20, what helps, um, helps us kind of get our mind around what takes place historically, it says this, but I ask you, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I will show myself to those who did not ask. So um, what God does is, with Moses through the law, and then Isaiah through the prophets. And what he did in the very beginning is he begins to show Israel, hey, it's not your awesomeness. It's my awesomeness that I want people to look at. And because of that, he begins to flex his muscles in salvation in such a way to say, okay, you think you're so great. I'll show you that I can do what I do through another people. And so he then, which is just, God is so crazy. What he does in this moment is he says, you're going to be jealous the same way those people were to be jealous of you. You're going to be jealous of them because I am with them. And so he makes them jealous. He just, so he begins to unfold this plan that ultimately to Israel, what I've been saying, that it's about the world. It's about the nation. So there's a, a passage. In Isaiah 52, that a part of it is actually quoted in that, that first section that we're going to talk about in a minute in Romans. I want to read it to you just so you prove. But this language is all over um, the, the Old Testament. But, but hear this this is what it says in verse 7 of Isaiah 52. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who uh, publishes peace, who brings good news and happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the, uh, the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you, wasteland, you waste place of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So, I, before he, okay, he has been doing some awesome things. Jerusalem, wake up. See how good God is to you, is the declaration here in Isaiah 52. Can you not see how good God is? He is faithful, He is holding out His hand over and over and over again. And then we are told in verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nation and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It was in its original plan, its ethos, God begins to show Israel, I am blessing you so that everyone around you can see how good I am. That was the purpose of Israel. And what he does is God breaks this thing open and and basically declares what Frank had talked about just perfectly last week, that now suddenly we read in in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 13, that whoever, whoever, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter, whoever calls on the name of God, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, professes him as Lord, believe that he raised from the dead, whoever does that will be saved. And suddenly God says, hey, it wasn't about an ethnic people. I was using you in that situation. But in the end, it is a people of faith. And so here's why this is important. Suddenly, everyone in this room begins to recognize, or hopefully recognize, wait a minute. So if, if we are God's people, like Israel, got, Israel was God's people, then we bear the responsibility that Israel had. So we don't see our election as an end of itself, that we've been saved, but rather as one people, one faith, we are called to have everyone, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, everyone we interact with, look at us and say there's something different about that people. Suddenly that burden falls on us and our election has responsibility. And this is what's put in front of us. This is why we've been called. This is the direction we need to head. And this is the thrust of the passage. For us to to even begin to walk into this passage, we have to ultimately understand our responsibility and who Israel is in all of this. Okay, so um, here's what I wanna do. Um, I wanna read uh, verses 14 through 17 now, and I wanna talk about what that looks like in our responsibility, okay? Okay. Um, and, and before I do, before we read it, I, I wanna explain something. So I actually wanna take 10 or 15 minutes before I even explain this, because here's the, the passage of this. Um, essentially what it asks, it asks some, some pretty base questions, doesn't it? It says, hey, um, we want people to believe, but how are they gonna believe to call on him? How can they call to believe on him if, if they haven't heard about him? I mean, it's, it's easy enough, right? And, I mean, let's be honest, how are they gonna hear about him unless someone tells them? I mean, the logic is pretty simple. There is someone who hears and there is someone who tells them. It's simple enough. I mean, they need to hear to believe and we need to be sent so we can proclaim. And we have been sent like Israel to proclaim so they need to hear. So here's the two ideas. Um, we have a role in proclamation, which we're gonna get to, trust me. But what I wanna talk about for a second is, and this may sound a little counterintuitive, I wanna talk about our role in them hearing. Like I understand that, that ultimately it is the spirit, man, who brings life. It is the Spirit who gives them ears to hear, and we can try to manipulate or manufacture any type of process, but in the end, it is God who saves, and it is God doing what he does. But what role do we have in them hearing? Because we we kind of run it, we have a tension, don't we? Uh, I mean, the tension that we're living in is the fact that we live in America, a culture, for the most part, has heard the name of Jesus. So if we follow the logic of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, even adding 13, that whoever calls on him, they know the name of Jesus, whether this be on Family Guy, Modern Family, Simpsons, whatever it is, people know the name of Jesus. And for the most part, they know what he has done. Yet they're hearing and they're not believing. So we feel like, man, we have this message that if they would just call on Jesus, if they would surrender their rights, they would have joy to the fullest. Why don't they believe they would have a peace and they would know truth? And here we are pleading, why can't they hear this? We're frustrated. Why aren't they hearing? And I wanna, can I just put in front of us, I think some, in some ways we do have a role in them hearing. You know, um, I was born and raised here in the valley and uh, I, I gotta be straight with you. I love, and I think most of you would probably agree, um, I just love the smell of rain. Arizona rain, um, the creosote bush, or whatever it's called—I always mispronounce it. But when that, when the rain hits and that bush goes off and you smell it, I just—I love it. I love it. And um, there's a, a girl, um, this lady in, in uh, the Ellis community, named me Kate. Um, and one time, we, we, you know, we were hanging out, and I was talking about how I love the smell of Arizona rain. And I just—it's just awesome. And she's from Portland, and I'd never kind of processed that the way I smell rain isn't the way that she would smell rain because. I smell it because the bush that's here and this is how I process smelling rain. And she says something blasphemous to me. She says, no, the rain in Arizona smells like a gutter. And I, in that moment, I wanted to act like a Catholic priest and be like, well, you've lost your salvation. Congratulations. Okay. Um, but I didn't. Apparently that's not in our doctrinal statement. Um, and, and she begins to say like, no, Portland rain smells. And she, be, okay, now here's the deal. Without the creosote bush or, or just in general, I love when it's 110 and it rains and it hits that hot pavement. I love that smell, that guttery, Arizona smell, okay? Um, Now for her, she's smelling the same thing I'm smelling, but I like the smell. She doesn't like the smell. So in the same way, we're hearing the same message. It's about Jesus, but for whatever reason, we begin to process and hear. yeah, but they don't like that message. And and, and I I gotta be honest with you. I think it's because we get lost in the idea, thinking that... um, when we, when we talk about being a light to the nations, it has everything to do with us just proclaiming the gospel. That in a lot of ways, we're not even a people worth listening to. And we forget that at the very ethos of Israel and who they were, they were a people that the people would look at and be drawn to. So it's not a get on a megaphone, but it's a look at them and see. So um, if you were to read Isaiah, matter of fact, we'll read it. In, in Isaiah chapter 19, verses four and five, God makes this declaration again, ultimately that it's gonna be for a people. And this is what it says in Isaiah 19, four and five. You yourself, talking about Israel again, kind of tying all this together, have, um, have seen what I did to the Egyptian Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So he first makes a declaration of the gospel. Remember what I did. Remember how I brought you to myself? I saved you. Remember that, okay? Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. So catch the second half of that verse. If we can leave that up there, catch the second half half of this verse. I'm gonna read it again. You shall be my treasured possession Among the peoples. So let's ask ourselves the question how can we be like Israel? How can we have people look at us? And in this moment, we're told that is the declaration. Well, here's what's crazy. The next book over in Leviticus, the same chapter, chapter 19, chapter 19 of Leviticus is actually commenting. So it's expounding on it, it's it's explaining chapter uh, 19 of Exodus in this specific passage of how we can be a people. Okay, And so I want to ask the question, before we get to the proclamation of the gospel, how are we hindering the hearing of God's word? What part do we have them in hearing? And I want to just put this in front of us, what was Israel's role in being a light to the nations? What did it look like for them? So here's a couple things. Um, so in, in uh, Leviticus, this is all Leviticus 19, we are to be holy in, okay, here we go, in verses 3 and 32, in family and community, in 9 and 10, in generosity and uh, generosity in agriculture, In 11 and 12, in social relationships, in verse 13, economic justice and employment rights. In verse 14, social compassion to the disabled. In verses 12 and 15 in in Leviticus 19, neighborly, or I'm sorry, uh, judicial integrity in the legal system, the neighborly attitudes in 16 through 18, sexual integrity in uh, verses 20 through 22 and verse 29, no ill treatment of ethnic minorities in verses 33 and 34, and then commercial honesty in trades, when when you make trades, uh, basically doing business. What part of that do we look at Israel and it's like, yep, they were just out going to the nations proclaiming. What part of that screams, go and give a track and don't live a life worth following? What part of that screams, it's all about what you say and not who you are? Because we look at this and say, man, the way that we love our spouse matters. The way we do business matters. The way you go to work Matters. So take the gospel to to the ends of the earth. Yes and amen. Take the gospel to your friends and family. Yes and amen. But be a terrible neighbor. Be a selfish husband. Don't care for your city. See, we have separated this. And and, the unfortunate nature is our heart immediately goes to, well, no, no, those things matter too. Oh no, those things matter too also. Also those things are important. And, And you can't, Like we can't even see it. We totally have separated it. We've created a dichotomy that suddenly evangelism is something that we go and do and here is something that we go and do. And yet we are shown in this passage and countless others in the story of Israel that evangelism at its core is being someone. And so we we miss it. We we, we can't wrap our minds around it. Um, So Surge, uh, the leadership program that we use at Redemption, each congregation has additional adage to to, to that, but Surge, the specific program, One of the books that we try to use training leaders is a book called The Mission of God's People. It's written by Chris Wright. And in the 12th chapter of this book, he uses this passage. um, And he talks about how can they hear, and and he goes on this whole thing. And he uses the whole chapter talking about missionaries. Okay? Well, when you flip over to the next chapter in chapter 13 in this book, um, he basically goes on to say, listen, I talked about missionaries for this passage, but we need to understand something. That's only the half of it, if that. There's something way more than that, and literally, this is how he begins the next chapter. I I wanna read, because I think this will, will help you. This is honestly how he starts the next chapter. We ended our last chapter thinking about those who are sent as itinerant Christian missionaries, those who have traveled across borders for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. But the mission of God's people is far too big to be left only to missionaries in that sense. Most Christians live in the ordinary everyday world, working, making a living, raising families, paying taxes, contributing to society and culture, getting along, Doing their bit most of us invest most of the available time that matters our working lives in a place and a task that we have been led to believe does not matter much to god the so-called secular world of work while struggling to find opportunities to give some leftover time to the only thing we are told does matter to god evangelism so if he's right and what he's putting in front of us i believe is true we have, we have processed talking to people as a set go instead of be. And can I just say this? If this is, if this is how God views public life, how should we? I mean, the truth is, if, if God doesn't save anyone and bring salvation to anyone he doesn't love, I wonder if we should try. My prayer is that we would cultivate relationships and we would move in directions um, to proclaim the gospel, but we would have a life worth following, that we would understand our works matter, that what we do matters, and that though the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, we wouldn't, or opens their ears, we wouldn't be the earplugs to, to clog that up, that they wouldn't hear our political bents, that if they're gonna reject anything, let them reject the gospel. At least let them get there. Don't let them see our lives in such a way and be like, there's no difference here. Some of us even continue to find our hearts like I think it's better over there, just like Israel. We, we can't see that the thrust of what's taking place here is God's putting before us to be a people worth following. That that is what Israel was called to. And in the same way now, God's people in general, this is what we have been called to. So let me read the passage now. Um, lest we think uh, you know, in and one, and one way or the other, we, we think because we go have a beer with someone or we, we, uh, we say hello to somebody in the break room, that that's ministering the gospel. I want to get to the thrust of the passage because this is kind of like a, a social justice theme in Christianity that's taking place. Like somehow, you know, we were in the break room the other day and you said hello to me. Most people say, hi, do you like Jesus? Yes, yes, I do. Like you pass your stapler and there's like, Praise God who won't. Like, that's not happening, okay? Like, so, so for us to have works to be put in front of people, there is clear, specifically with this, um, with this passage, there is a clear proclamation that needs to take place. And so that's what I want to talk to. But I want to not lose focus that our life, our work, our duties, our actions is someone who we are. And what I'm about to talk about, or at least what Romans is about to talk, talk about, is not separate from that. We're not gonna go, okay, that was living your life. Now let's talk about proclaiming the gospel. Don't do that. That's not what's taking place. This is who we are. This is who we are. This is what happens. Romans chapter 10, Ping it up now in um, in, in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not heard, or but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing uh, and, and through hearing of the word of Christ. So can I just, let's point out some obvious over and over. Are uh, we just some of the, the blatant verses that, that say this? Um, we have for them to hear the gospel. Um, we have to preach the good news. There's a hearing from us, um, from hearing to hearing. There's a hearing of the word of Christ. Um, we even find that as Jesus comes on the scene in Mark 1, there's a clear, he proclaims, the same word here used in Romans uh, 10, that he's proclaiming. The idea is to herald a verbal proclamation. So this takes place. And can I say this very quickly? Um, just a, a pastoral side. Listen, I've been on the, other side of the game, bro. I've been on the other side where literally a church where we were at, um you were not allowed to buy a bracelet, but there's a certain bracelet you could earn and it said I got me one on it. And if you told someone about Jesus, you got an I got me one bracelet. And if you brought a couple people to Jesus, you got an I got me one t-shirt, but you couldn't buy them. Now, it would be hilarious if it wasn't true. Because in the end, we see geographical territory to be conquered and that's how it goes. And I've been on that side to, to proclaim, and I don't wanna lose this focus, but, but hear me when I say this, at Arcadia, can I just say, man, I don't, in my opinion, we do this really poorly. I mean, we care for the culture. We care for arts, we care for people, we care for our neighbor, we're investing our time uh, in LGO, we're putting ourselves in places that, that are visible to the community. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're, we're, we're doing this and we're investing in the community, making relationships. But in my opinion, man, we do not proclaim the gospel very well. We do this side really well. We are a light in that sense. But we have separated being a light means that we're not working towards sharing the gospel. And I've been on both sides of this. It was, geez, maybe five or six years ago, I was the guy on Mill Avenue on 4th of July. And I was open air preaching two years in a row, 2007 and eight. So however long ago that was. And I was up there open air preaching. Now there's another guy open air preaching who was calling like everyone whores and stuff. And I was like, I'm not with that guy. Um, (laughs) But I was, I was proclaiming the gospel. Literally thousands of people are walking by. And sometimes I would pull people to the side and I would talk to them about Jesus. I was that guy. Okay. No relationship. Just talk to him like that. Brass tacks. But hear me when I say this, I've also been the other guy. Like in January, my family and I, we moved to the west side, and we left a house on 40th Street and Greenway that we had lived in for three years on Evans. And we lived in that house for three years, and the neighbor to the west of us changed a couple times, but the neighbor to the east of us, his name was Hub, and his wife's name was Mary, and they were 60, 70 years old. Um, They had unbelievable bouts with cancer. I mean, just the whole time we lived there. And man, did we love on them. I mean, oh, like, we would bring them meals after surgery. Our community came around them and um, we planted uh, a lot of their plants. I did their yard work countless times. One time they got their pool um, uh, resurfaced and so I had to go over there twice a day for a month and brush their pool. Man, I, and, and hear me when I say, the reason I'm telling you this is because I love them. But in three years, three years, three years, not one time, not one time did I bring up the gospel to Hub. Not one time. My kids love him. They still ask if we can go swimming at his house. Like, I feel like we cared. He knew I was a a Christian. He knew we had a community group. He sent his son-in-law over to our community group one night. But not one time did I ever ask him where he stood with Jesus Christ. And and I separated it, didn't I? Because I, I... Man, I I did this really well. I, I, I lived before him and I cared for him and his wife and, and we took care of him and he knew that, 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 um, that we loved him. But now, one time did I bring the gospel in a proclamation form in three years. And now I think some of us in this room, because our pro- proclivity is that side, that we would say, um, well, I'd rather be that guy because then you're planting seeds and someone could come along. Let me just tell you personally, if I had to choose, though I don't believe these two things can be separated, if we had to separate them, I would prefer, I'm just telling you, I know in love Hub, I would have preferred to be the other guy. I would prefer to be the guy just to proclaim the gospel. If I can go back, I would have rather been that guy, proclaim the gospel to him, and, and man, maybe never ever help him. And I know that, I'm just telling you personally where I stand. Like I live in regret and a lot of that. And I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm just telling you my story and that I've been on both sides. And to treat this Um, like it's something like a sidebar is not okay. Can I go fire and brimstone on you for a second? Listen to me. Um, The proclamation of Noah is the same thing. Hear me when I say this. There is a storm coming. Get in the boat. That's the message. There's a storm coming. Get in the boat. And you play games with eternity when you begin to act like you don't need to say anything. Now listen, I'm not trying to fearmonger anybody because I've been in those situations at camp where a guy would come up, he, he showed this audio um, of, of these guys who dug really deep down into earth. And he's like, listen, and they dropped this microphone down there and you can kind of hear hell, right? And I'm 17 years old and he's telling me, man, these people are gonna blame you that they're in hell. And I walk out from camp and I'm like, ain't nobody not hearing the gospel that I need anymore, okay? I'm not trying to cause the fearmongering. I'm trying to tell, tell you to take this serious because the passage put... In front of us is one of proclamation it's one to tell us in this moment you've got to say something paul literally prays for opportunities to minister the gospel which tells us two things one not every opportunity is an opportunity to minister the gospel because he's still rubbing elbows with constant people but two it shows us there is a time to do that and every relationship that you cultivate every relationship that's built up is working towards hey i want to tell them about jesus not so you can get an I Got Me Worn bracelet. Not so you can stand before Jesus Christ and say, see, look what I did. No, hear me when I say this, because you love them. Because you've built a relationship and a friendship and you love them. And, and if you love them um, and you believe what you believe, then it is to be taken serious. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Radio, um, but it's, it's a really great movie. It's a movie with Cubie Goodie Jr. He plays an immensely handicapped man it takes place in a small little town with this guy named Coach Jones. And uh, Coach Jones is um, the, the head football coach of, of uh, the fo- high school football team there in this small little town. And, um, he basically ends up running into radio. It's a true story. There's really great footage after the movie, but um, he ends up running into radio and he takes radio kind of under his wing and he lets him be the equipment manager for the football team. Well, the town just gets heated about this and they, and Coach Jones just takes, he's, it's played by Ed Harris, he just takes tons of flack for this. And his family's upset with Co- Coach Jones and, and his daughter's upset with, with, with him. And so um, Ed Harris, who's Coach Jones, is sitting in the truck, one, one of the scenes with his daughter. And I don't know if this is part of the true story, of the true story, but the story he tells is is, um, very moving. He he says that um, when he was 12 years old, he had a paper route, and he rode his bike from place to place to place, from each house, obviously passing out papers, but the town was a lot more sporadic back then, he tells his daughter, and so um, he says he would have to take back roads, and he said one of the times when he was taking a back road, He was dropping off a paper, and he heard this kind of rustling in a shed, and so he goes over to the shed, and it's kind of, um, you know, protected by barbed wire to maybe keep rodents out, and he doesn't know what it is, but he's 12 years old, so he's curious, and he goes up, and he says, as he gets closer to the shed, he sees fingers come through the barbed wire, um, through the the chicken wire, And, and he looks in, and he sees it's about a kid his age, and there's something mentally wrong with him. And no one's home, and he realizes that um, his parents have locked him up, and they just feed him there, and they leave him there in the shed. And and Ed Harris goes on to say, um, he looked at him, and he said he felt like what he looked at him for eternity, and he just stared at him, stared at him, stared at him. And then he said, then he said he, he kind of came to, he took some steps back, he picked up his bike, threw his paper back, threw his papers back on his back, and he rode off. And he he says a crazy statement. He says, I ran that paper route for two years and never did anything. And, and now he, he, this is obviously why he continues to interact with radio. And I'm, I'm not trying to fear monger you in saying this, but I'm saying, listen to me, hear me. You have the talents you have, according to Acts 17. You've been put in the place that you are at the time which is now for a reason. Do you think you just get technological things because you're like so awesome? Like, do you honestly think that? Do you think you have physical gifts because you willed your arms to come out in your mother's wombs? Do you think it was you who gave you the abilities that you had? No, it's not. Let me break it to you. So, the truth is, God has given you these abilities. Like Israel, we have been blessed. For what reason? Because maybe two, three, four, five, 10 years go by and we never say anything. But God has given us a platform with people and we never say anything. So how can they hear if we never say anything? Because we've been sent. This is our role, it is, it is an end. Our salvation is simply the means to get there, that we are to be a light to the nations. We have the talents we have for, for the foundational undergird to, 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 to provide a voice for people who respect and will at least hear, with us, hear us. Those relationships have been given by God for a reason. May we proclaim the gospel. So I, I want to say again, this is not something we separate. Who we are, if we love people, we will tell them. And, but, but can I say this? Don't hide your cowardness in the Holy Spirit's not telling me to do it yet, okay? I know that's rough, but like, I've been there. Oh, no, it's not yet, I I will. But the Holy Spirit's pressing on you. Don't blame the Holy Spirit because we're afraid. There's a boldness that that we've been given by Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to say things when the time comes. Let me finish with the last verse. Um, This is what it says uh, for us um, in verse Uh, 18. I think it helps us a lot too. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What What a crazy way for us to even finish our time together, right? Because in the very beginning of all creation, just by the way creation is made, it, hear me, it naturally proclaims the word of God. And when we submit to who God is and his commandments, this thing is a natural incl- uh, inclination. It's, it happens naturally. Uh, so even in Psalm 19, one through four, that day after day, the heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. Night after night, they speak his name, okay? Without a sound or word for their voice is never heard, yet their message goes out into the entire world. God did not have to fasten a tree to say, go do this. A tree by its nature brings glory to God in all of its beauty. The stars by their nature do this by who they are. And God completely removes the burden of this message of salvation off us in the sense to say, listen to me, if you would love me, if you would follow me before the nations, those opportunities will come. And then I want you to be bold because you love these people and it is something that naturally happens. So um, I'm, I'm seven years old, and I think a lot of you guys know my story, but I'm seven, not right now, I'm seven, that'd be weird. Um, I'm, <coughs> um, when I'm seven years old, I'm living in this, this uh, little house with my mom and my brother and sister. Uh, it's a two-bedroom house. My mom's boyfriend, my dad, my dad's girlfriend, my dad's girlfriend's two kids, my aunt, my uncle, and their five kids, okay? Now, they're all drug addicts which probably makes sense why we're living in that house. Um, And we're living in this two bedroom house and we have no electricity with all those people, Ain't nobody earning a living, okay? Um, So there's no electricity, and I've told some of you guys this before, but um, what happens is uh, one night, my aunt and uncle, who are geniuses, um, they take a big thing of propane, uh, and they're trying to transfer it to another smaller version of propane because um, the house is lit up by, we're using these little propane things. Sometimes at night, we run an extension cord over the community center. That was my job, what up, okay? Um, But normally, all the light would be lit up by these little lanterns that we have. Well, my aunt and uncle decide that they need to get the propane from this big tank to the smaller tank. I've shared this with some of you guys. So what they decide to do is, they decide to push the two propane tanks together and just open both valves. Genius, okay. Um, except not um, because they're doing it by candlelight, okay? Okay, so I'm sitting in the living room on the couch and um, my cousin at that time, the youngest cousin, her name was Tawny, she's two years old. Um, I'm sitting there, she's, I remember very vividly, there she is sitting in her diaper, just filthy. Um, and I just see from the back room, this blaze of fire. And at first, it's, I mean, you don't see that all the time, so you're like, what was that, okay? Well, then again, this huge thing of fire sucks right back into the room. And I don't, so then it's, it's starting to trickle out. Now, now hear me, hear me when I say this. I didn't need to go to a conference for someone to tell me when you see fire in a house and there's a two-year-old, this is how you pick them up, and this is how you take them out of the house, okay? No one had to give me a seminar or walk me through 10 ways to save a baby's life. You know what naturally happened? I love my little, my little cousin there. She's a baby baby who is helpless. I need to get out of here. I'm going to take her with me. No one had to walk me through that. That was a knee-jerk reaction that I did. And this is the truth and this is what I'm trying to put in front of us. We tend to overanalyze and we tend to like, how can I, listen to me, be a Christian, live before the nations. God will provide opportunities, proclaim the message. They need to hear, they need to hear. You need to tell them, that's a reality. I don't need to, nobody needs to over and over tell you this. The Holy Spirit's been telling you this. They need to hear this. And and we're told and we shove it to the side. May we embrace this truth about us. May may we understand that this is at at our core, who we are as a people of God. This is where I'll close. At the end of that chapter in the mission of God's people. Um, he, he, he makes a really good thing, and this is just what I want to put in front of you, and then I will pray. This is how he finishes the chapter. In chapter 13, from the quote I read um, from Chris Wright, this is what he says for us. You set forth every morning into the public square that is both the world of God's creation and the world of Satan's usurped dominion, as well as the world of your participation in God's mission. You are the Daniels of the present world, or at least you can and you should be. You are the disciples of whom Jesus said that you are in the world, but not of the world. You live and work in the public square, but you take your ultimate goals and values in life from another source, the kingdom of God. You are the salt and light of the world. Jesus came to save us. May we proclaim that same message to everyone else we love.